Ace and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina, and each week I'm fortunate to be able to talk some baseball with a guy who really knows a lot about the game, and his name is Scott Chu. How's it going there, Scott? Going great. Weather's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I uh, had a had a nice big breakfast. I, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm happy as well. Uh, weather here in New York is, is uh, incredible. We're going to be in the 70s for the next week. So, uh, unfortunately, last night was a little bit of a tough night for me in fantasy. By the way, we're recording this episode on Saturday morning, May 15th. But uh, last night in one of my more competitive leagues, it's a 15-teamer, and I'm telling you, I mean, Adam Ronis is in this league, not to drop names, but uh, Scott the King Angle. I mean, this is a real powerhouse league, and when you try to pick up someone off the waiver wire, they're already gone. You know, in my TGFBI league, guys will still be on the waiver wire, but in this league, they're gone. But had a bad night there. Listen to this. Sandy Alcantara, eight runs, 1.1 inning pitch. Aaron Savali, 6.2 innings pitch, five runs, got smacked around by Jared Kalanick, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Clayton Kershaw, 11 Ks, got the win, but gave up five runs and six innings pitch. All in all last night in this league, 11.25 ERA and 1.75 whip in that league for me last night. Is that not good in that league? I don't know your <laughs> settings. Is that not good? Uh, yeah, that that might be uh, not considered not good, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get it. A little, <laughs> little more standard then. Yeah, that's not yeah, good. Yeah. That's not yeah. great. And, and sometimes you just have days like that yeah. where it all goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that stinks is it takes a long time to fix that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thankfully, we're still early enough where we still can fix it. And I had some uh, good things happen in other leagues. And that's why you got to play in more than one, obviously. You know, Aaron Judge, two home runs. Tyler Glass now, eight innings pitched, 10 Ks, two earned runs. And that's in my auto new league, which has been a new experience for me. So that's awesome. How's it going by you? It's going good. You know, mm-hmm. um, learning a lot about auto new. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, not that good at it yet, but hanging in there. Mm-hmm. Other leagues, you know, going well. It's it's starting to turn around. You know, we talk about how uh, there's still time to turn things around. Like one guy I was all in on all off season, still all in on is Kyle Tucker. And that story's gotten a whole lot better. Yeah. You know, I mean, for. For just this month alone, he's hitting 317 with a 634 slugging, three home runs, 13 runs scored, 10 RBI just on the month, right? So that's huge. The plate discipline's been awesome, walking almost as much as he strikes out, right? 14.6% walk rate, 17, 16.7% strikeout rate, turning around, right? So that's helping a lot. You know, there's still a couple other guys that I could use a complete turnaround from who we'll talk about later, like Marcelo Zuna, but things are turning around, you know, Mm -hmm. like I had a bit of a slow start in a lot of leagues, but they're turning around because I still believe in a lot of the guys I drafted in, not all of them. And we'll talk about some of them too, but Mm -hmm. I still believe in a lot of them. We talked last week about how the major league batters in general are slumping. And we're just hoping that as the warmer weather comes around, so will the bat. Glad to see Kyle Tucker has picked up the pace. So last week, the focus was on injuries there, Scott. Injuries still preoccupying us a bit. Just uh, a couple that I'll mention. Zach Galen, uh, Diamondbacks manager, Tori Lavulo called his injury a minor sprain of one section of his UCL. 
So you hit UCL and you get scared. I'm still scared because I, I roster him in a couple of leagues. Uh, but uh, the team is expected to reassess his progress in a couple weeks. But at least early on, it's looking that he's going to be able to avoid having surgery. Yeah, it does. And so, again, when we don't know a lot about injuries, I think the first thing I would caution people to stay away from is panic, right? There are folks out there who they hear this and they're, they're starting to try to, to trade these guys right away. Right? Like, oh man, it's UCL. I want to see if someone else wants to take this risk. And number one, it's going to be hard to find trade partners anyway because people aren't usually trying to make a trade if they don't know what's going to happen. And number two, it's, you know, what if what if it's fine? I mean, we, we talked about this with Tatis, right? And yes, it's still a long season and he could still have a short one. But man, when he's been on the field, he's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those folks that were, yo, you got to get rid of him. Take, you know, take 75 cents on the dollar. 60 cents on the dollar because you got to get rid of him. Like, it, maybe they'll end up being right. But, man, I would have rather made that – if I was going to make that trade, I'd rather be doing it now than mm-hmm. three weeks ago when we yep. weren't even sure if he was going to play, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to urge people to be cautious until we know more. And, yes, it might burn you a little, but probably not as much as you think because there's probably not a lot of buyers out there for an unknown injury anyway. Right. Like I said, you hear UCL, right away you're thinking uh, Tommy John surgery. So – Keep our fingers crossed for that. So you mentioned Tatis and uh, he and uh, Gleyber Torres, a pair of high-profile shortstop, tested positive for COVID. So obviously COVID's still running around. And not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just, you know, since they both are shortstops, let's say it's Monday and that's the day when this podcast comes out and someone's caught shorthanded at the shortstop position or maybe a middle infield in general, uh, just Three names I'm going to just throw out there. Who do you think is the best short-term option among them? We got Freddie Galvis, Jorge Polanco, or Miguel Rojas. And all three of them kind of having similar type of uh, production so far this season. Yeah, so Polanco had a bit of a slow start to the season, right? Wasn't great. Been a lot better since the calendar flipped to May, hitting 325. A lot more like the Polanco I expected. Still striking out a lot, though, so that worries me. So that actually puts me on Miguel Rojas, who's just been fantastic this year. You know, he has uh, he has a hit in each of his last 10 starts. He didn't get a hit in a pinch hit appearance over the last, like, week or two, but hit in each of his last 10 starts. Eight of those starts, multiple hits, right? Mm-hmm. The guy's on fire. Not a huge source of power or speed, but none of these three names were anyway. Like, mm-hmm. they were all kind of, like, double-digit-ish. Yeah, uh, in in all of those categories, Polanco maybe has a little more power than that. But Rojas, he's hitting a lot. He's hitting right at the top of this lineup, a lineup that's been a lot better than we thought it would be coming into the season. So I think you know it's not just riding the hot hand. It's he's been the hot hand since the start of last season, right? He was a big mm-hmm. surprise last season. He's been he's continued that surprise and success this season. I'm all over it. He makes good contact, hits at the top of the order. That is exactly what I like in a short term replacement. Plenty of at-bats, plenty of quality at-bats because he's not like this big strikeout guy. You know, that's the only thing worrying me about Polanco. He's not usually a big strikeout guy, but he's striking out a lot right now, 31% so far on the month. So I'll take Rojas, who's who's hitting a lot, who's hitting at the top of an order that's getting him around. I'm all over it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, he's getting a lot more attention recently. And like you said, good keyword short-term. 
replacement, right? And who, who knows, might turn into something a little bit more permanent, but obviously uh, you're not going to be able to totally replace the production that a Fernando Tatis and a Gleyber Torres is going to give you. I know Torres has gotten off to a slow start himself, and it's a shame that he's missing this uh, Yankee series against the Orioles because he crushes the Orioles. But uh, another uh, injury will just glance over. Because hopefully by the time you hear this on Monday, Ronald Acuna will be back in uh, your lineups. Uh, has an ankle injury that he's dealing with. Thankfully, no structural damage. And like I said, uh, hopefully by the time you hear this, he'll be back in the lineup. So, but so we talked about last week's focus being on the number of injuries that you've had to deal with. And of course, injuries aren't going away. But this week's focus was more on the prospects because we got two of the more high-profile prospects, Scott, getting called up. Jared Kellenick, both of them from the Mariners. I was going to say from the Mariners, but outfielder for the Mariners, and pitcher Logan Gilbert. Now, uh, Gilbert pitched four innings, four earned runs, five hits, no walks, which is pretty good for a, a rookie, right? Five Ks, 10 whiffs, 27% CSW pitched uh, 71 pitches. Any any thoughts on him? I was watching him pitch and I eventually fell asleep because it was a, a 10 o'clock game here in the in the East Coast of the United States. But I liked what I saw. Batters were making a lot of contact off of him. A lot of fly balls, at least early on. So that concerned me. And then, of course, he gave up the home run to friend Mil Reyes and, and Jose Ramirez. Can't fault him for that. Those are just two really good home run hitters, but I guess once you're giving up a lot of fly balls, that's bound to happen. Yeah, so to me, it was a very typical debut start, right? We tend to see one of two things, right? Either these pitchers can't find the zone at all, right? A little bit of Daniel Lynch uh, in his first start, struggled with finding the zone, then had to overcorrect and threw meatballs. And with Logan Gilbert, what we saw was less of, like he wasn't missing the zone, obviously. He didn't walk anybody, and that's great. Those mm-hmm. two home runs and all that contact, I mean, that is sort of the result of just throwing a lot of strikes, which is good, right? But, you know, a little bit of nerves, a little bit of, you know, just being green, being 24 years old, left some stuff that was a little too hittable, mm-hmm. right? And that's just one of the two ways that that pitchers can be sort of uh, nervous, right? They'll either miss by a lot or they'll miss their spot and hang it a little. So mm-hmm. he did a little bit of that. I think that he's a... He's a decent guy. I mean, the deeper the league, the more important it is to grab a prospect, right? Because quite frankly, in a 10 or 12 teamer, I think he's worth potentially picking up, right? But you might not have a roster where it's worth it to you because Mm -hmm. we can't project this guy for a sub four ERA, right? Um, We could project him for some decent strikeouts, strike out an inning, maybe more. That'd be great, but it's going to be a little volatile on a team that doesn't necessarily win a ton of games. So, you know, it, it's something I'm going to keep watching those matchups. Mm-hmm. And in, I don't know. Unfortunately, a lot of you aren't going to have that opportunity. Someone's already probably grabbed him in leagues with daily moves. Uh, he's already gone. If he's not, I think you should go out there and try to get him. But keep in mind, right? Like this is not a instant top 40 pitcher kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. If you've already got a deep pitching staff, you can't really do more than try to keep folks honest. But think about who you're going to cut, right? If you don't have an open spot from the IL or, you know, something like that. It might be really hard to make this move, especially if he's not going to go super deep in games. Mm-hmm. I think he's more valuable in deeper leagues. No, I mean, that that league I was referencing earlier, you know, I've stashed him for a while now. So, uh, you know, and only because there isn't much on the waiver wires, right? So uh, I guess that's something to consider as well, right? The size of the league. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that 
that is something to consider for every ad, right? But mm-hmm. especially with prospects, because one of the hardest things to do is, I mean, it's a little bit true for pitchers. It's mostly true for hitters. It's hard to like use a lot of bench spots on hitters in most 10 or 12 team leagues, right? You can't really have more than one or two of them. So how many prospect bats can you really hold on to, right? You've probably been sitting on Kellenic all season, right? And, and it's, it's been hard to manage. I'm sure. Like I, I wasn't able to do that in any leagues, but it's hard to manage because in most leagues, unless you have really deep benches, mm-hmm. you know, like most standard redraft leagues, you're looking at like a total of five or six bench spots. Most of those are for pitchers that you're putting in and out. You've got maybe one bench hitter. Two is the most really that you can handle. So, you know, how many of these prospects can you sit on? Kellenic's a guy that's worth it. A lot of guys kind of aren't and you kind of mm-hmm. have to wait. Yeah. Same yeah. for pitching. I mean, it's going to depend on, have you had a lot of injuries, right? And on one hand, injuries make it tough to compete, but they also give you some spots mm-hmm. to play with because you have your IL spots. But if you're in a league with capped IL spots, you might have hurt pitchers on your bench because you can't afford to cut them. And yeah. it can make a big crunch. And that's where the more crunched your roster is currently, I think the more you have to be willing to let prospects go. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're hearing this podcast, the waiver wire for the past week is, is run and like Scott mentioned, either Kellenic or Gilbert were picked up in the middle of the week in uh, leagues that have daily moves. Or if you have weekly moves, you had to have invested a ton of your fab to, to get them because these are two high profile prospects. And that's just the way things are, right? I mean, But there was a, a guy, and I, I mentioned them to you, Scott, James Caprillion, who former top Yankee prospect was traded to the A's, has had some injury issues in the past, and uh, including a, a Tommy John surgery. And he had a start this week against the Red Sox, uh, pitched five innings against them. I, I don't love the walks. He gave up a few walks uh, this past week, and that's been an issue for him, but it's an issue for a lot of young players, and especially pitchers coming off of uh, Tommy John surgery. But he might be the kind of prospect to invest in if – you don't want to invest too much of your fab or maybe you've invested a lot of your fab on other people already and you don't have uh, much left over, but uh, he's someone to that type of player is someone that you might want to consider. Yeah, absolutely. So number one, he went a little deeper into this game than some of the other pitchers that we've talked about lately. He went five innings. Doesn't sound like a ton, but it's pretty deep for a, for a debut on the season, right? He's a bit older. He's 27 years old. And uh, this is what I really like about Caprellian is unfortunately less about Caprellian and more about, as you were mentioning, the environment in which you can pick him up, right? People were probably not stashing James Caprellian, right? This is a guy who like, let's say, you, you know, you've got these, you've got waivers. Everybody's looking at these prospects. They're looking at the Logan Gilberts, the Jared Kalanicks, and they're investing all that. Caprellian's a guy who, who's coming out at around the same time that you can kind of just sneak in, right? Everyone's focusing on the big names. You didn't like they didn't announce James Caprellian's debut on ESPN, <laughs> right? Like, like, pardon the interruption, didn't have a bullet point for Caprellian being called up. Those are the guys that you really want to be keeping on top of and tr- just just grab real quick, right? Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but those are the ones that you don't have to invest a lot of fab in, a lot of resources in, and that you can kind of let go if it doesn't work out. You're just you're less emotionally invested. You're less like like literally invested so that 
you can run these because if you're again, if you're in a 10 or 12 team league redraft or only have like one to five keepers, very, very few prospects that come up this year are impacts mm-hmm. impacts for this year. I mean, like, yeah, Franco and Kalanick, like these guys, they're impacts. But how many of those will we have this season? Quite frankly, not a ton. And there's a pretty good chance that a few of them won't be guys we ever expected. Think like Jake Cronenworth. Just, mm-hmm. He was like a 40 value. He was like a 40 future value prospect. Right. And he came up and hit and he's been pretty good. Right. But like nobody was stashing him. Right. Unless you're in like deep dynasty. So these are the guys that you kind of want to just grab and hang on to. I'm not saying you shouldn't get Kellen. You should, but you also have to know that you have to invest a lot. These are the guys you want to kind of stream in and out, see what sticks. Mm-hmm. Right. It's exciting. There's still prospects, but it's not a thing where you need to go dump, you know, 20% of your fab. Right. And let's face it, I mean, investing in prospects could be risky. I mean, just ask uh, managers, fantasy baseball managers who invested a ton of their fab on Daniel Lynch. And look what he's done in his first two or three starts, right? I mean, uh, Kellenic happened to break out on, on Friday night, uh, three for four, two doubles, a home run, two runs scored, and three RBI. And if he were uh, retired now, he'd retire with a 375 uh, lifetime batting average. That's pretty awesome. But but in all seriousness, uh, you could save Fab by stashing, but it is a risk. And it's important to note that stashing, a, a bench spot, it matters, right? And you don't have a ton. And you need a lot of them on the pitching side, right? Active pitchers who are who are going to start, right? Like that's the... For almost every team, the majority of their bench is starting pitching, right? There's only so many spots you can use for hitters or prospects or, you know, speculation. And you might already be speculating on guys that are in the majors, mm-hmm. right? You're speculating, you know, it's been it's been rough, but you might still be holding the Jamison tie-on because you want to see if he can turn it around, right? Because he's still striking guys out. You might already be stashing at the max. So we're going to talk about guys you should, that you might consider stashing. But keep in mind, if you're already stashing someone, you in a redraft league, you can't you can't stash two guys mm-hmm. unless you've got these crazy deep benches. Yes, like 10, 10 bench spots. But if you've only got five or six, you can't stash two. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's if you do, it's extremely difficult. It puts a lot of pressure on your on your team, and it puts a lot of pressure on you because you need everyone to stay healthy. So again, that's one of the most important things to take from this investing in prospects is very risky and it can be done. But if you're using more than one bench spot to do it, like one roster spot in a redraft, it's very challenging. It's something you really will have to manage and it could burn you really badly. And I generally don't recommend it. That is great advice. Yeah. Uh, very good. So uh, speculating on who's next, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the players I'm going to mention, but of course there are some that we've heard talked about and that we've, kind of done some research on all of us, not just guys like Scott and I who are on a podcast, but, you know, Joe Adele, of course, uh, that's a, a name everyone's always talking about. And now we actually have some minor league stats to look at, right? So Joe Adele, four home runs, nine RBI, two stolen bases, 265 batting average in his first eight games, but he's still striking out close to 40% of the time. So, I mean, you know, you, you're looking at the angels and you got, you know, Taylor Ward struggling a bit, Justin Upton struggling a bit. We'll talk about him a little later. But, you know, it has to make sense for a team to call up a prospect. And looks like Adele's still struggling. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, right? I mean, he's struggling with the thing that they're the most worried about. And that's those strikeouts. One, two, three, strike, you're out. Right? 
He's walking a bit, and that's fine. We've seen him do that in the minors before. But if you're striking out 36.8% of the time in AAA, that's hmm. going to turn to 40% in the majors, just Easily. like it was last season. And as you mm-hmm. saw, striking out 40% of the time is just simply not tenable. You can't succeed in the major leagues striking out 40% of the time. 30, sure. 33, maybe with an elite bat, right? Like a Joey Gallo type power. And even then the window is small, mm-hmm. right? You can't do it striking out 40% of the time. And if they think he's going to come up and strike out 40% of the time, they won't call him up because if they want to call up someone, they could just use Brandon Marsh. Yep. Right? They've got another up? guy that they could bring up instead who won't strike out 40% of the time. Mm-hmm. Joe Adele is in the minor leagues to work on the strikeouts. And until he's fixed the problem, at least to some extent, until we see that number at least get below 30%, if not close to 25, I'm not expecting him to be called up. The guy's still only 22 years old. There's not this huge rush to do this, mm-hmm. right? They've got a team where they've got outfield depth. It's like the one thing they have, right? They they have outfield depth. They are, you know, they're winning some games, not as many as they hope, but they're winning some games. It's not like they can put him at DH because Otani's going to take that spot five days a week, right. right? They they have really no incentive to bring him up until they really feel like the strikeout issue is fixed because the last thing they want to do is bring him up, have him strike out 40% of the time in the majors again and potentially like damage the guy's psyche or his swing because yes. he's going to continue to try to tweak it, right? Mm-hmm. So love that he's showing the power, but I knew that he could do that already. Right? I already knew that about him. I need to see the strikeouts come down, and so do the Angels. Mm-hmm. Yep. A couple of the names I'll just mention. Uh, looks like Willie Adamas is trying to make it really easy on the Rays uh, to decide whether or not they want to bring up Wanda Franco. Another prospect I noticed for the Rays who's uh, got some really good numbers is Vidal Bruhan. He is also uh, an infielder. So, uh, And also just to mention Wanda Franco, uh, started playing a little third base there. So uh, keep that in mind. The Marlins need some outfield help. Jesus Sanchez has gotten off to a, a white hot start in AAA. 548 batting average, five home runs, 15 RBI in his first eight games. They struggled in uh, 10 games in the big leagues. I think it was last season, but uh, corner outfielder. The Giants, San Francisco Giants, man, like they've gotten off to a, a hot start as well, just as a team. But Helio Ramos, uh, their outfielder, getting off to a hot start. He's in double A, 333 batting average, two home runs in his first nine games. And uh, just talk quick about a pitcher, Alec Manoa for the Blue Jays, went from low A to triple A without skipping a beat. So far, 17 Ks, two walks, no earned runs, and 12 innings pitched so far. And uh, we all know that the Blue Jays could use a little help on the pitching side. So, those guys kind of make a little bit of sense. And uh, then you have uh, another couple that might not make so much sense, right? Bobby Witt, you have uh, Mondesi, who's going to be coming back. And uh, Witt's only in double A right now, and he's not really tearing it up. And then you have Mariners outfielder Julio Rodriguez. You might want to hold off on him, only in high A, struggled in the Dominican Winter League, but really fine prospect. And with the uh, Orioles catcher, Adley Rushman, and, and to me, I'm looking at his uh, minor league numbers over the past couple of years. Seems like he might need some more seasoning. So what, I guess what I'm trying to get at is if you're going to try to invest in a prospect that you're going to stash, try to take a look at his parent team's situation and see if it makes sense for them to call him up, right? 
And it and one other thing I noticed real quick, Scott, is it used to be that I'd, I'd kind of focus on AAA guys, right? When I was looking at prospects, now it's like players can make some jumps. Oh, they certainly can, right? I mean, the hardest thing is we don't have any stats from 2020 for anyone that was in the minor leagues, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have very little news and we have no stats, so that does make it a little tougher. I'll tell you from that whole list. That entire list you read of Franco, Bruhan, Sanchez, Ramos, Manoa, Witt, Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rushman. Wander Franco is probably the only one I'm stashing in a 10 or 12 team league. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest, I, I'm, I'd think about it on call up. But like Bruhan, in the majors, he's a speed only guy. Contact and speed. There's not a ton of home run power here. He's probably coming up before Franco, but that's a 15 team roto play because mm-hmm. you need steals, right? All right. Mm-hmm. Sanchez, you know, yeah, they might, the Marlins probably need outfield help, but he's probably just a streamer, right? This mm-hmm. isn't like a team that scores a ton of runs more than we thought. Like I mentioned with Rojas, but you know, like he's, he's just another outfielder, right? You, you need to be in a pretty deep league with five outfield before he really starts making the cut in a standard Yahoo league. I just don't see how he moves the needle for anybody mm-hmm. until you start getting to 15, 16 teams. Ramos, yeah, great hot start, but the Giants kind of have some outfielders, right? They've already got guys that are rotating out there, right? And they already traded for Talkman, right? If they if they thought Ramos was going to come up anytime soon, I bet they wouldn't have traded for Talkman, right? They didn't really yeah. need him. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, Manoa, I'll be interested in his first start, depending on who it's against and where it is, right? But, like, I'm not just going to bring him up and then, you know, watch him have his first two starts be, like, against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and then, like, in Camden Yards, although the Orioles aren't that scary, but, like, in two small parks, mm-hmm. then maybe not, right? So he's a guy I'm interested in a bit, but we have very little track record. So it's hard to get, you know, too excited. And then Witt, J-Rod, Rutschman, I, I don't think they're coming up anytime soon. If they come mm-hmm. up this year, it's, like, September, maybe. Right, right. I agree with you. So so that's our take on, on uh, prospects. Uh, we'll go into more detail as the weeks go on. Uh, maybe try to get a pitcher list prospect expert on with us that'd be fun to talk about and uh, like i said it, it i'm getting a kick out of uh, just taking a look at the uh, at milb.com uh, just watching some of these stats and that we actually have some real games that are going on in the minor leagues so that's pretty awesome so yeah if i could uh, if i, let's, ahead, I could just sure. one little pitch for the other pl right we're pitcher list we're pl there's also another one prospects live one mm-hmm. thing they do a great job of is daily rundowns of minor league players I know some of the folks over there, they do a great job. I think definitely worth checking out just, just to get some names. Like, like we talked about those under the radar call-ups, that's where you're looking for names. Those are the guys you're adding to your watch list, right? Before mm-hmm. you add players, they go on your watch list. That's what I recommend. Get those guys on the watch list. So you're you know, like, Oh, someone's been hot in triple a double a, and the team's got a need. Those are the ones that you can keep an eye on and maybe get a little under the radar because Kellenic was never going to be under the radar. Franco, right. we're going to be, People are going to be making that speculative ad if they haven't already a mm-hmm. month before he comes up. Right. Right. The moment someone mentions he might, it's big fab time. So that if you want those under the radar guys, that's how you do it. And they do a nice job. Obviously, we have great dynasty content at Pitcher List as well. And I recommend you check it out. We've got the On the Farm podcast. They do a great job. We've also got articles that come out daily about dynasty. So worth looking at. And then also those daily rundowns. Absolutely. Great stuff on PitcherList.com and a lot of great podcasts and the ones that you mentioned absolutely create great content. And uh, what you mentioned about Franco, I mean, I would think that with Kalanick and Gilbert getting called up this week, it's going if if there's any chance that Franco 
is available on, on a league and wasn't already stashed, uh, this this would be the week to do it because the addition of Gilbert and Kalanick reminds people that, hey, we're at that point in the season where we're going to start to see some guys called up. Yeah, I mean, Wander Franco, based on Fantasy Pros, is rostered in 54% of Yahoo leagues and a third of ESPN leagues. Mm-hmm. So he might be out there. And he's mm-hmm. only shortstop eligible, right. which is you know one of the more top-heavy positions. So in those shallow leagues, it's hard to kind of roster a, a second shortstop unless you know you you got a multi-eligible player or right. something if you've got a middle infield it makes it a little easier but you know again one of the few players right now that in all league formats i'm willing to stash yeah yeah and it is interesting to note that he is like i said he got a, i think a start or was taking reps at third base the other day so well that's just the raise they just like to have their players uh, able to play multiple positions, no? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that would surprise me if they had him catching, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the only right, way. Right. I, I could see them trying anything, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. part of it's to get him up, right? And I mean, that'd be cool. But otherwise, they're they're going to bring him up. And yep. what position doesn't really matter? Because everything's a moving part up there. I can't mm-hmm. think of a single player other than catchers who they only use at one position, right? Except right. for Adamus, who at one time was a good fielding shortstop. And he's not doing that well either. So mm-hmm. there is a ticking time bomb there. I just think it's Bruhan first. Uh, and that's less exciting to me from a fantasy perspective, mm-hmm. obviously. Okay. So let's move on. I want to talk about some slumping players and whether or not it's time to cut ties with them. But before we get into uh, several players that we want to get into regarding that topic, but there are some marquee names that have been slumping so far this season. and. Now, these are guys that basically you have to hold on to. I mean, you can't drop them based on the draft capital that you've invested already. And they're going to be scooped up if you drop them. So, and trying to trade them at this point, tough because, tough but not impossible though, but but tough because you're trading them, trying to sell them at their lowest value. But, you know, like I said, it's not impossible just because of their pedigree and, and what they've done in the past. So let's get right to it. Three players that I want to talk about, Francisco Lindor, Marcelo Zuna, and Freddie Freeman. So let's start with Lindor. So Francisco Lindor with the New York Mets got to see his first New York City rat there, Scott. Although Jeff McNeil doesn't agree that it was a rat. That that was a whole weird thing. But uh, a lot of us, when he was traded to the Mets, thought he would be the perfect guy for New York City guy that wouldn't be rattled by the glare of playing in the Big Apple. Obviously has a lot of talent, but in uh, checking his stats as we're broadcasting now, batting 195, 311, 265. He's been coming on a, a bit recently, 330, 313 batting average over the past week. Actually hits better at home, 283 batting average, as opposed to road, 117. To me, this there are some red flags, right? Uh, WRC plus of 72. Uh, 100 being the average, if I'm not mistaken, right? Third straight season with a declining WRC+. plus, Four straight seasons of declining barrel rate, 9.5 in 2018, 5.1 this season. Three straight seasons of declining exit velo, not tremendous drops, but still. So the fact that this guy has underlying talent is undeniable. But what are we thinking in terms of Lindor? Should we... Look further into those declining stats that I mentioned, 
or am I looking too deep? I mean, you're not looking too deep. The problem is diving deep doesn't really help much. So like the one thing that's been good is the plate discipline. Walking as much as he strikes out at 13.1%. So that's awesome, right? Everything else is scary and you should be worried, right? Like this is, this is not, he's not going to be a 30-20 player this season. I mean, that, that would be incredibly difficult to do. Even if he became what we expected him to be from here on out, 30-20 is pretty much off the table, right? So what are, like, you have to kind of figure out what are the new expectations? And I think a great result at this point is being a, like a 25-15 guy, right? And batting like 260 by the end of the season. That's a really nice result, okay? That's what you have to be hoping for. So first, if you're looking to trade him, that's around what you want to be getting back, like a 25-10, 25-15 kind of player. And that'd be difficult, right? I, I don't think a lot of people are interested in trading for him. And it'd probably feel pretty empty to get a player like that who's going to be like that for the rest of the season. I mean, and the other thing that's tough is to like find the, you know, to find the cherry on top, like what, what's been good. I mean, you have to look at a really small sample of games, right? Like he's been good for about a week, right? With a home run, two steals. That's good. Not great. So I think the move is hold and you just kind of have to be disappointed about it. If you're trying to trade him in redraft, you're finding a partner. I'm not doing it for a player who I don't think going forward will be at least a 20 home run, 10 to 15 stolen base kind of guy. And for someone willing to give you that, then you can consider it. But also know that you are, quote unquote, selling low, right? Mm -hmm. The only reason you do that is because you don't think he's a 2010 guy going forward. That's how I'm analyzing a lot of these players. What do I think they could be going forward? Reasonably, right? And if you're not sure, go look at the projections. Fangraphs has a bunch of them. See if you agree. Now, they're all pretty much going to be rosy on these players because projections indicate they should be good because projections use a lot of historical data. And historically, he's been really good. I haven't had my eyes on Lindor a ton, so I'm relying on these projections a bit, and I'm mostly holding. Mm-hmm. Again, a little bit of an – he's finally started stealing a couple bases. That's great. He's got runs scored in a lot of recent games. I mean, the Mets as a whole have been a little disappointing. He's had, he had a little mini hit streak that he finally broke. It's getting there. It's getting mm-hmm. there. <clears throat> Either be patient or sell at, you know, what it's probably like 75 cents on the dollar. I'm fine right. with it as long as you don't think he can be that going forward. If you think he's got a shot at it, I think you have to hold. Despite all those negative stats I brought up, you know, in introducing him, if you play in a league where you're th- team is floundering let's say you know you're close to the bottom of the standings and you're just looking to make a big splash you got really nothing to lose would you would you buy him low i mean probably not right because again buying low is cool but nobody wants to sell low you need to find someone who doesn't believe in him and then what do you have to give up right Mm -hmm. so if lindor is on your team and you're struggling the best move you can make is holding and hope he turns into francisco lindor Mm mm-hmm Right. That's the biggest boost your team could possibly get. No one's going to trade you the upside of Francisco Lindor. Nobody. That's not going to happen. No one's going to trade that kind of upside for a guy who's looked really rough. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to hope he comes back. If you if you're thinking about acquiring him again, find a guy who I know this is really sounding like dumb advice, but find a guy who you think will be worse than him going forward. And mm-hmm. see if the guy will take it. The best player you have that you think will be worse than Lindor going forward. See or, if it works. Yeah. Right? Like or, a, it's usually going to be like a, a top 50-ish guy. Yeah. Because Lindor could be a lot better than top 50 going forward. 
you're really good. Sure, sure. Yeah. But again, you have to be willing to make that investment. Don't you mm-hmm. can't just say like, is it a good trade? Like, yeah, if you think it is, right? Like, you have to have like you can't make trades if you don't have an evaluation of the player. You'd be right. surprised how often people try that without a real evaluation of the player, mm-hmm. without knowing what they think he could be. Because every time you know people ask me for trade advice and they tell me what the player's been like, I'm like, yeah, but you're not trading those stats. You're trading for the stats they're going to do, right? Do you think they're going to be like they were? Or do you think they're going to be something different? Because you're trading mm-hmm. for what you think they will be. Right. That's how you get trades. You don't win a trade because you got the guy who's been doing better. Right. You win a trade because you get the guy who's going to be better. That's how yeah. you benefit your team. So if you can't answer the question, I think this player will be better than that player, you can't even start thinking about trading. After that, that's when you start talking about, is this, what's this, you know, what's the nor- what's the market on the player? Could I get away with trading someone a little below this? Or, you know, could I get something else in return as well? Right? Mm-hmm. That's where that comes in. But that comes second. Because first you have to think, do I think this player will be better? Am I getting better stats going forward? And you can use a projection system for that. You can use your gut for that. I don't care. But start there. Then start worrying about the market value. Just like buying a house, right? You don't buy a house just because it's a great value. You buy a house because mm-hmm. first you want to live in it. Then you worry about what the good value is. Right. That, that's when you're making the offer, right? But mm-hmm. first you have to decide you want to buy the house in the first place. You don't make up offers for every house you visit, right? Just because it's nice mm-hmm. or could be nice with a little work. First, you got to pick the ones you want to live in. What if you're looking at a trade partner who has like a Marcelo Zuna who's been struggling all season long as well? And I know that one's a shortstop and one's an outfielder, but you, you, know, you concoct the deal where you, know, you, you trade one struggling fantasy star for another struggling fantasy star. And uh, you know, maybe like trying to uh, pick up on what you said, because maybe you think that Ozuna has a better chance at a bounce back, right? So we're looking at Ozuna, who's batting at the start of Saturday morning when we're taping this uh, podcast on May 15th. 216, 297, 358. His expected stats offer a little bit more encouragement than than Lindor's. But uh, what about that tactic? And what do you think of Ozuna? So I like this tactic, right? Mm -hmm. Assuming you can find a trade partner. And I have a valuation here that I'd use, right? So the only reason I'd all be interested in Lindor's because I think he'll steal, you know, 10 to 15 more bases than Ozuna will. Because Ozuna will steal somewhere between zero and five, right? probably zero to three, but I still like what Ozuna's doing at the plate. I love what he's been doing so far this month. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's slugging about 500 on the month, which is a step in the right direction. He's still batting third for a very good team. I mean, he's already also got what three home runs in the last 10 days. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like I think he's got five in his last 15 games that turnaround's happening. I'm all over it. Now I don't think someone would make that trade, but if I had the opportunity Give me the Ozuna side every time because I think he's going to have way more RBI. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to hit five to seven more home runs. And we're, we're talking like 20-something more RBI just because he bats third instead of second in a better offense along with Freddie Freeman, who's been struggling too, but I don't care, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the book on Freddie Freeman is still the same. He's going mm-hmm. to be great. A rough couple of weeks or whatever just doesn't phase me because then he'll go on a white hot streak and be the best player in baseball for a while because sure. he, he has a very recent MVP, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Ozuna... I want that all over the place because it's hard for me to think of what stats I think Lindor will be better in other than maybe run scored, you know? So that's a move I try to make. If I've got Lindor and I'm not worried about those 10 steals, which quite frankly, I'm probably not right. 
Um, I, I would try to make that offer because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would have drafted Lindor first. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd be relying on. Like, Hey, a month, these guys are both struggling and a month ago, you would have rather had Lindor probably. What do you think now? You still, mm-hmm. would you still rather have Lindor? Cause I'd rather have Ozuna. Right. Yeah, that's I'm a, with you. that's a great move. If mm-hmm. you can make it right. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard fit and players don't, nobody wants to trade for someone who's struggling. When you, if, if you realize it, like a lot of times when you're trying to trade, the other person's trying to talk themselves out of it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Because people, if you go on any Facebook group or in our, you know, in our discord PL plus, you should really be in it. We do a lot of great trade discussion. Everyone's trying to talk themselves out of trades. They'll get these beautiful offers and they're waiting for someone to tell them to like mash the button, mm-hmm. get it now before they change their mind. Yes. But like <laughs> they need to hear it because they're trying to talk themselves out of it. <laughs> Always. It doesn't matter how obvious. Like right now, someone could be like, I've got Ronald Acuna. I'm a little worried about that ankle. Can I have Lindor? Like (laughs) not a real offer, obviously, but like I could see someone putting that in our chat being like, Mm -hmm. is there something I'm missing? What's going on? Your, your, your buddy had a stroke. I don't know. (laughs) Click, click accept real quick and hope the league doesn't like tear itself apart. Trying to veto it, you know, (laughs) let the league worry about you accept it. Your, your league mates are going to try to talk themselves out of the trade. Mm-hmm. The way you talk them into it is, in my opinion, a, a decent offer, a favorable one to you, obviously, but a decent offer and being kind of a little honest about it. Like, look, hey, both these guys are struggling. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm willing to make this swap. You look like mm-hmm. maybe you could use a little speed. I need a little power. Let's make it work. Right. Right. Don't tell them why their guy's no good or why your right. guy's oh, better. They don't no. care what you think. Yes. No one cares what you think. Your, your league mate doesn't care what you think. Right. Cause they're trying to fleece you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the best thing to do is just mention, this is what I need. This is what you need. This is my offer. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm the kind of guy who like some people like to start with the conversation first. I think that's totally fine. I tend to like to start with offers, mm. you know, get a ballpark, what we're talking about. You know, I personally am not the type of person who's like, what, what do you want for this player? Because like, I hate wanting something and making someone else do the work, right? Like I want to make a trade. You tell me what I have to do. That's not fair. Right. <laughs> so oh, that's, that's my move though. I, I, I like to do that move. I like, it's to, okay. Hey, if hey, someone's willing you know, to do it. Yeah. You know, what would you, you know, what would you want for player a, you know, and I, then yeah. you, sometimes you, you're surprised at what they would expect back for that player. So it could work to your advantage. Yeah, it you know? totally can. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying like when people do that to me, I don't give them very much. <laughs> right, right, right. I'll remember not I'm, to do I that. I usually reply with, what are you willing to give up? Other. Right? Right. right. <laughs> so be ready for that. So like it's a good move and see if they respond well. If they don't, be ready with some kind of offer. Mm-hmm. And never send – like send an offer that you think could be accepted. That's mm-hmm. the other thing because that's that's the nice thing to do. Don't be like the real MLB managers. Who make laughable offers to each other. They <laughs> right. really do. Send something that you think someone might accept, even if they probably wouldn't. What if they would? Right. Give it a try. Make a move. Right. right. But also, if you're struggling, this is actually probably not the time to make one of those moves. Because mm-hmm. the best thing you can do for your team if you have Lindor is have Lindor be Lindor. Because no How one's going to the- trade you the potential yeah. of Lindor. Yeah. How about like that that trade that I, I mentioned, but sweetening it up a little bit, you know, like a, a two for two. And then how about trade offers where you're getting like 
three players worth garbage <laughs> for your one <laughs> awesome player. So I mean we could do we could do a pretty much a whole podcast on trades, but I mean we will eventually. But Freddie Freeman was the third guy I was talking about in terms of being uh in a slump, but he's coming out of it and you mentioned that he he's he's awesome. Uh expected stats suggest that a, a lot of his uh misfortunes so far this season were due to bad luck, bro. 283 expected batting average, 548 expected slugging. Like I said, as of this morning on Saturday the 15th, batting 213, 344, 34, but a couple of home runs, batting uh, 304 over the past week. Uh, Freddie Freeman's fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. absolutely fine. Um, th- you know, a good way to look at these, and I know we talked about this last week, That those expected stats give you a peak, mm-hmm. right? The expected stat, the flat number, and the rolling number. Don't forget the rolling number, for God's sake. Like I cannot stress this enough. Look at the rolling one too, right? Because it gives you just more context. Mm-hmm. Because like it's hard to tell is this is this expecting average expected batting average low because they were really bad to start and now it's getting better. We talked about this last week with Jock Peterson, right? That number was going up, right? That's that's what I want to know. I want to know what it is and the direction, right? So let's talk about a guy who I'm kind of worried about in terms of batting average, but not power. Cause I look at both numbers. I look at expected batting average and expected slugging like in Austin Meadows. The, the data suggests that for power, he's been very unlucky. He should have a slugging that's closer to like 450 mm-hmm. and up the batting average is still bad. And the expected batting average has been bad really through last season too. Right. And we're starting to get to the point. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago with Tommy Edmond, where we're getting to a point where the, the sample of bad batting average is getting close to the sample of good batting average, mm-hmm. right? And it's not going to necessarily meet in the middle. Projections will try to put it in the middle, but it might not, right? Now, the thing about the thing about Meadows is that he's been unlucky with power, and he's got eight home runs, Yes, right? <laughs> so <laughs> he plays in a big park, yeah. and the strikeout rate's gotten better, but the batting average has been rough, and, and some of that is just bad contact. Right. Mm-hmm. He does make a fair share of bad contact. So that's a player who's who's sort of tough to move it. And you kind of just got to accept the warts mm-hmm. and maybe so there's more than you don't need just trading to offset like bad things. Right. So right. like if Meadows has been rough and your batting average is struggling instead of making a trade, sometimes you look at some of the back end parts of your roster and say, all right, I've got this guy because he's got OK power. But maybe mm-hmm. I flip him for like a like a David Fletcher mm-hmm. because I don't need this power. I'm getting it right. Yeah, he's been a good player by the ranks, but all he's giving me is power. I don't need it. Let me go get a David Fletcher. He's maybe a little lower in the ranks, but he's better for my team because I don't need Fletcher to have power. I need that batting average in those at-bats. Right. Right? Those are really moves that you want to think about. So you don't just have to trade a guy because they're struggling. You can just try to offset the part they're struggling with. Right? So, again, Meadows struggling in those ratios. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll just get a guy as the last part of my roster. You know, maybe I've been flipping through my middle infield. Maybe I've been flipping through that util. Then maybe I'm looking at like a Miguel Rojas, who's had a really good batting average so far, or mm-hmm. a David Fletcher, a Luis Arias, these guys who can do those things, right? And not worry so much about the power. Whereas there's other guys like a Lords Guriel Jr., who's been struggling. And the problem is that as much as I liked him kind of in the preseason, his overall line like wasn't that special, mm-hmm. right? Like he doesn't, he's not giving you anything that you can't replace. A in a full season, we were hoping for like 25 to 30 home runs. Yes. There's lots of those guys in a 10 or 12 team league, mm-hmm. right? Like at this point, he's, he's feels like if you can't use him as a fifth outfielder, 
we're starting to get to the point where it's like, maybe you just consider not using him at all. You let him go for, for a streaming spot. Cause it's starting to look like you might be able to stream a Lord's Guriel jr. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the season. If you think you could stream someone who's just as good using those projections, using your feelings about that player. Now it's the time to start thinking I need to replace him. Right. And, and Guriel wasn't so much of an investment. They need to worry about it. I know I'm talking a lot, but the one other thing I want to talk about is the guys who were a big investment. Mm-hmm. That's Eugenio Suarez. And we've been talking about him all over on podcasts, right? I talked about him in the PL shorts, right? Um, both, both Rich Holman and I were both like, man, this is scary. In the preseason, if you read my, my write-ups, I talked about how I was worried about this strikeout rate. It just kept climbing. And at some point, you need to make some contact. Yeah. Your strength doesn't matter if you're only hitting the ball with the edge of the bat or not hitting it at all, mm-hmm. right? That's what Suarez keeps doing. And quite frankly, at this point, people want to buy low. If I can get a top 150 player rest of season for Eugenio Suarez, I'm strongly considering it. And I can probably get more. I can probably get close to a top 100 player in some formats for, for people to still believe. Especially if this, you know, by the time you're listening, this will be over. But especially if this weekend in course goes well, mm-hmm. right? I kind of want him to get a little heat and look at people and be like, hey, I want your top 100 guy. Do you want Eugenio Suarez? And they'll think, oh, well, he'll turn around. He'll have power, especially in leagues where I've got power. Because quite frankly, I already had a lot of it. In a lot of graphs, they tend to pick up a lot of power. I'd rather get something else. Because, man, it's, I know I'm talking like it's hard to see how I'm making this analysis. I'm looking at that rolling chart for Eugenio Suarez. And like, yeah, there's still power there. But those strikeouts are getting out of control. He's swinging and missing on stuff in the zone, out of the zone, fastballs, breaking balls, off speed. It's everything. It's all over. It's not like he needs to fix, oh, he's just struggling against breaking balls. He's missing fastballs in the zone more. Right. Right? right. Like, you can't fix all that stuff. He's swinging and, and missing at pitches he hasn't even seen yet. <laughs> and like you said, it's you know, breaking balls, 50% whiff rate. I mean, when you initially drafted him, you penciled him in as a 40 home run guy. I mean, I know, I know you didn't think he was going to hit 280, but 154? Do you think he's, is he getting to the point where he's droppable? No. But only because I think someone will give you something for him that's Mm -hmm. better than what's on the wire. Now, in an eight-teamer where, you know, there's no corner. I mean, we're talking super shallow. Like, Mm -hmm. you just last-second league, you got together with your coworkers, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Because I don't have him as a top eight third baseman going forward. Mm -hmm. Right? He's probably outside my top ten right now. Right? Because it just looked that bad. He's not walking, swinging, missing. And again, the point here is is less that I think he can't turn it around at all, right? There's still a chance, an outside chance at like a 30 home run season with a rebound. The point I really want to make here and stress more than anything is he doesn't need to fix a thing, Mm-mm. like one thing or two. Right. It's bad across the board. Like we just needed to swing and miss less, mm-hmm. right? It's not like we need him to recognize breaking balls out of the zone a little better or make a little better contact on this or that. It's everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's all about contact, too. It's not like, oh, if he just pulls the ball less. No, no, no. He needs to swing and miss less on all pitch types. Right. In the zone and out of it. Right. Like, oh, that's that, like the just to put your head around. That's changing every everything needs to be better. Break Usually them down with one of, and start over. Usually with these players, I mean, something's broken and maybe Mm -hmm. it is something small that's causing all this. It's possible, but I don't, I haven't heard that yet. And I don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. Right. So what's scary is that like he's striking out more, 
It's getting worse, not better. The batting average is getting worse, not better. The on-base is getting worse, not better. It's all getting worse, not better. And it's across the board. It's not a single thing. Pitchers didn't find a weakness. They found all of them. Right. (laughs) It's all a weakness. Like, you can't have a guy, like, again, if it was the the broadest thing I'm willing to accept as a that could kind of turn around is, okay, he's, he's swinging it too much outside the zone. But that's a thing to work on, right? That's just recognizing pitches in the zone. And they got mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff for that. Apart from just being in games and getting back to basics, they've literally got like VR goggles these players can wear for pitch recognition. It's really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, I was hearing about it from Andrew Perpetua, the former runner of um, X-Stats. Like they've got these goggles these players can wear to do that. You can fix that. But when you're struggling with pitches in and out of the zone, you can't wear goggles and just be a better hitter. It's not, <laughs> goggles don't work that way. Before you mentioned goggles, I was thinking maybe the guy just needs a pair of glasses. Anybody get this guy's eyes checked? I mean, it's crazy. But <laughs> I mean, that'd be a real Tommy Pham thing, right? They found out he's got this like degenerative eye condition, right? Like may- maybe it's that. But until I hear that news, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. I am in the one league I have him. I am actively shopping him. Mm-hmm. And again, this is because my my valuation, the projections I'm comfortable with, all those things, they've got Suarez outside the top 10, maybe outside the top 15, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, I haven't redone my full ranks, but he's somewhere between 10 and 15, maybe even a little further because of how afraid of I am of that strikeout rate. So I'm actually doing that, right? I'm looking for people who've got someone who I have ranked higher mm-hmm. that I feel strong about. And like, I might not get the best value, but I'm going to get good value. I'm going to get something better than what I had. And if I can find a partner, I'm doing it because they're going to feel good. I'm going to feel good. Maybe I'll lose it. Maybe I won't, but I'm trusting my gut just like I did all through April. And now I'm trusting my gut with my projections going forward, which mm-hmm. have changed now. That's how you're making these trades. And Suarez is a guy I'm thinking about doing that with. Yeah. If you want to talk think- about a guy to cut, yeah, it's yeah. probably Jorge Soler. I know you're not a big fan of Soler, but that breakout 2019 season turns out to looking like a, a Fugazi, right? He's a fake. fake. Yeah, I know what a Fugazi is. The 265-48 home runs. Since then, in 81 games, 216-306-403 slash line, uh, 104 Ks. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think it's time to cut ties. I mean, it's been better in May, right? Barely. Not even all of May. Right, mm-hmm. he's got one home run on the month and a couple doubles. Like, mm-hmm. cool, dude. Like, so yeah, he only can be util in almost all leagues. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a like. He's never been a big asset in batting average or or OBP. This was a power only guy, and he's not giving you that either. Like, it, it's not like the expected stats are showing some like crazy gap, right? Like they do. Like the exact X stats do like his slugging better, right? Mm-hmm. Like four seventy three, but. Let's say he ends the season as a, you know, because he turns the power around and hits closer to like 470 slug rest of the season. And he ends the season as like a 25 to 28 home run guy and bats like 225, 230. Well, in in your util spot, you tell me you couldn't find something better than that for your util with, with, you know, obviously less than a hundred RBI, probably less than 70 to 75 runs, no steals an OBP of, maybe 300 mm-hmm. and, and only utility, right? You can find something better. You, like, first of all, no one's going to trade for it and mm-hmm. you can just get something there. You can stream better until you're in like 15 teams. 
And even then, it's rough, right? Like, it's probably time to move on. In a 10 or 12, there are no 10 or 12 teamers where I would begrudge someone for cutting. Mm -hmm. Unless it's like 30-man rosters, which would just be really strange and boring. But, I mean, I'm in one eight-team dynasty where we have giant rosters but we have to start like three first basemen wow like you need a lot of depth so it plays Just like being honest league. yeah it's, a, it's yeah, an 18 yeah. league like with a, the, yeah a standard 10 standard 12 even even with mm-hmm. two utils get out of here i'm probably mm-hmm. moving on I, i've i've got that power elsewhere yeah like suarez breaking balls break them i must break you 50 whiff rate on breaking balls but how about kevin biggio 204, 331, 333 stat line. Actually, his expected stats are in line with his actual production. I'm looking at him, then I was reading that he has has been dealing with some hand injuries, a right pinky, an index finger. Uh, obviously, you need your fingers to hit, right? But, I mean, it's not like this guy was a 300 hitter to start off with. But uh, do you think that we're seeing what Biggio is capable of? Or is he kind of like somebody that you would be interested in? God, he keeps doing this thing where... He like has zero to one hits every game. And then he has like a three hit game, right? <laughs> like every once in a while, he just, so like even just a few days ago, he had this, you know, a game with, he went two for five with, or no, he, he went like two for three with two doubles, right? And a strikeout. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the game before that, he stole a base. Like he's doing just enough to keep me interested. Obviously I was pretty high on him in the preseason. I had him like inside my top six at the position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked what, what he could potentially do. And the plate discipline's gotten a lot better in the month of May. Only about mm-hmm. 50 plate appearances, but that's a pretty sticky sample size for walk and strikeout rates, about 50. So mm-hmm. we're looking at 18.9% walk rate. The 26.4% strikeout rate's a lot better. That batting average for the month of 214, that's par for the course. That's just mm-hmm. what BGO is. But the 365 OBP is what is also what we expected because he's walking a lot more as well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he has at least one walk in each of his last, I think it's seven games as of this recording, right? So mm-hmm. and he's got two of them and a couple of those. That's getting better. The power and speed aren't quite there. In the month of May, just one home run, one stolen base. That's what I need to see back. But there's just enough here. And he's got just enough multi-eligibility that I can justify this as like a back-end piece of your roster in 10 and 12-team leagues even, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting to a pinch in those Yahoo-style ones because there's no corner infield, there's no middle infield. Right. But he's still, at least in Yahoo, he's still like second, third and outfield eligible. Right. Right. Something like that. So, you know, you can justify it as that one bench hitter even. Right. And I'm I'm managing his matchups a lot more, you know, uh, because he's batting more towards the bottom of the order. I kind of hoped he'd be at the top. Mm -hmm. Managing it still on, not trading for him, not trading him away. It's a pure hole. Right. In a five uh, outfield league, Kyle Schwarber started off slumping 223 batting average but over the last six games 333 batting average three homers and seven rbi i mean you know he's gonna give me much more than a 250 hitter but definitely a 30 homer guy across a full season yeah you hope Mm -hmm. right um again it's nice to see this this run of of power Right. Mm-hmm. That's what we've seen. He's, he's moved up in the order a little bit. The Nats as a whole are hitting a little better, right? Josh Bell's found some hits recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jan Gomes is finding hits recently. And you'll find that when teams like teams kind of almost get hot and cold together. Mm-hmm. Right. We saw this like last year, like when the Cubs were cold, it was everybody. Yeah. Right. Everybody was bad. 
And then when they got better, like when they started heating up, it was everybody, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the Reds from last year too. It's a team sport in this Mm -hmm. sense, right? I mean, that's just what we see. So it even happens in microcosms. I mean, my own Tigers were the worst team I've ever seen for a stretch of like a week and a half, two weeks. And now they look like a a not good, but palatable major league team, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, hey, they swept I mean, the series this week, didn't they? Your yeah, Tigers. Well, <laughs> you want to talk about streak? You talk about those Royals, right? Yes, right. They were leading the division mm-hmm. a matter of you know days ago, and now they're almost at the bottom. Right. You know, every, nobody's hitting anymore except for Whit Merrifield because he he's not affected by petty mortal things like streakiness. <laughs> right. Uh, but the, but everyone yeah, else, most consistent right? guys like, around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At first, it's like, man, this offense is surprising. And now they can't score runs, mm-hmm. right? Even against the Tigers. It's not like their their pitching hasn't been good, but they're not scoring either. So, again, Schwarber in a batting average league, he's a little tougher because that batting average comes real up and down. A lot better in OBP, obviously. So, you know, over the last, what is it, eight games at times of this at time of this recording, he's got like a 447 OBP, mm-hmm. right? That's what's really good. The power's really good. But again, this in a 10-team league, three outfield? No, probably not, unless you're OBP, and even then, he's like the last one. In a 10-team, five outfield, sure, that's an outfield four. Mm-hmm. In you know, Especially in OBP, maybe it's more like a three or four. But also, he might be on the wire, man, because he was so bad. Right. He's a power-only guy. Definitely and more valuable so than a Justin Upton, right? <laughs> yeah, well, so I, I like that comp, because like Justin Upton's like this, except he's got maybe a little better batting average, worse OBP, but Mm -hmm. my tolerance for power only players who are struggling is low, Mm -hmm. right? Especially when they're outfield only, right? Power hitting outfielders grow on trees, folks. Like they're, they're out there, right? And corner infield, quite frankly, right? So if the upside was 25 to 30 home runs and a 250 batting average, how many players is that? That's, that's, it's like half the guys you're thinking about rostering in a league, right? that can do that, especially in the outfield. So if it's a power only and there's not some plus plus tool. So like the nice thing with Schwarber is that in an OBP league, there's like a plus plus on base percentage mm-hmm. that can come with it. And he bats in the middle of the lineup. That's fine, right? Not great, but fine, especially when Soto's in there. So that helps, right? But uh, when he's real cold in those shallower redraft leagues, he's probably an outfield that he's like an outfielder that I'll find in a league that I've cut and added multiple times throughout the season. Right. That's the kind of player it is. And that's okay. Justin Upton in those five outfield leagues, especially like a 12 team, five outfield, maybe 10. If you're a little, you know, you didn't draft a ton of outfield. That's a guy that you might add and drop as they're hot and cold mm-hmm. and you might swap them. Right. So like in more than one league, I cut Kyle Schwarber earlier in the season and picked up Brian Reynolds because I had power. I needed average and Reynolds was hitting it hard anyway. Nice. Yes. Since then in that same league, I just made the reverse move. Mm-hmm. I let Reynolds go because he'd been dealing with injuries, right? And I needed power because my power had dried up a little. So I swapped him out for Schwarber. That's how I like playing the back end of the outfield. And I think really everyone should think about it, especially in those shallower five outfield leagues, 10, 12 teams. Those mm-hmm. last couple outfield spots, stream them. I mentioned this in the uh, On The Wire podcast I was on last week. You can stream any position or any stat category that you want, as mm-hmm. long as you're smart about it. One of the easiest ones are stolen bases and outfield separately, generally. But often when you're streaming out, like when you're streaming stolen bases, you're doing it with your outfield. But you can stream that last outfield spot all you want. 
even if your team is balanced and you don't need a specific stat, just keep cycling through that last outfield. That's a very tenable thing to do. Catcher is the other one. If you didn't draft a good one, catcher last outfield, especially in like a four or five outfield league mm-hmm. and stolen bases. You should consider streaming those things in season all the time in the draft room. Not so much, right? You let the draft come to you as it goes, but mm-hmm. in season, I'm thinking about streaming those things all the time because I can always get a little better. And a lot of times the last outfielder or the, you know, back end stolen base guy I had like a mile straw, he can come in and out. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Just because he has a batting average, bad batting average doesn't mean I have to leave it in my lineup every day. Right. Correct. I'll look at a great point that was made on that, po- on that pod by Kevin was if you can stream a single stolen base a week, that's a 26 stolen base player. Mm-hmm. Right. And on draft day, the types of 26 stolen base players that were in that, like after pick 200, they had no batting, right? None. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you might be able to stream a stolen base a week with some batting. And I know I'm sort of pontificating here, one of my favorite words, uh, but (laughs) that's what you need to be thinking about. So we talk about these guys because those are the tough decisions. Should I cut Justin Upton? I liked him a lot. Well, what's the upside? How much better is that upside than... A guy, like how much better is that upside for the next month than the two or three guys you could stream? The answer for Justin Upton, it's probably not, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably not better. It's probably about the same, except those guys are already hitting well or have good matchups coming up, and Justin Upton might not. So I'm you absolutely wonder, making that swap. You wonder if Upton's days are numbered, especially if Adele finally fixes himself in the minor leagues. I mean, the Angels kind of... Once they got rid of Pujols, don't you think that they kind of like sent notice that, hey, look, you know, we need to start winning games here, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they're they're paying him a lot for this mm-hmm. season and next season, about you know, over $20 million, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's not like he's been good. Right. Certainly, right? right? He wasn't that good. La- I mean, he had, he had some home runs last year and he mm-hmm. has seven home runs on this season, right? Mm-hmm. That's the one thing he does. But so did Pujols, right? I right. mean, the only plus for Upton is that he can field. That's mm-hmm. the only thing. So, I mean, that was, that's the one distinction I'll make. Cause this, I think this is a really good comp about a player. They could cut. The only reason mm-hmm. I think they won't is because he does provide some positional flexibility. He's not a good fielder. Certainly he's a passable one, barely. Mm-hmm. Right. But he can do it. The problem with Pujols was he was blocking up a player who was already hitting well in Jared Walsh yeah, and they couldn't DH him because they need Otani there. Yeah. So they had nowhere to play him. He was going to have to be benched, but they still might like, platoon Upton, right? I haven't looked at his splits. He used to at least be, I mean, over his career, he's been way better against lefties, Mm -hmm. right? Just way, way better. So I wouldn't be shocked if they maybe do platoon him, start sitting him against the tougher lefties. Uh, You know, this season, he's been a lot better against the lefties as well, hitting 276 against them uh, as opposed to 175 against righties. That's the next move I think could happen. Mm -hmm. He goes to the short side of a platoon. Um, and then, you know, at some point, maybe they don't want to do that anymore either. And obviously that wouldn't work so much with Adele. Uh, but you know, it's something that could happen. I don't think they'll cut him, but maybe you should. Great stuff. Great advice as always from Scott Chu. And want to thank you all for listening to the podcast and allowing us to visit with you. We hope you were informed and entertained because that's our goal. You could follow me at Joe Galena, follow Scott at if the Chew fits, Follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. And if you follow at Pitcher List Pods, you'll be informed anytime a new episode drops for any of the great podcasts on the Pitcher List Network uh, debuts. So uh, subscribe to the Hacks and Jacks 
uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a stellar five-star review. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. 